everyone, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am Colin McFader, joined as always by Clark Coffey. Um, and today we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different um, for episode 28. We are uh, going to yeah. be, um, as opposed to what we usually do, which we've been doing recently, which is kind of going through Herzog's filmography, um, one thing that I realized uh, the last time we recorded was that we were always kind of talking about like personal anecdotes about whether it's like our, our careers or our lives or kind of how we got into movies and things right. like that. Um, and I just thought, you know, might, might be a cool idea to just do an episode where we don't necessarily focus on a movie, um, or we don't focus on the masterclass, but rather we just kind of focus on, you know, our careers and we kind of just yeah. talk a little bit about and ask questions to each other about, a little you know, more personal, our, if you will, exactly, yeah. where our love for film came from and stuff like that. Right. Um, and of course it'll like mm-hmm. kind of, will weave in, you know, how we came to discover Herzog and his, mm-hmm. you know, films and, and his kind of philosophy of filmmaking, which obviously has impacted us. But yeah, this will be kind of a little more freeform and personal, if you will. It's like maybe we could consider this like a special episode. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Subscribers only (laughs) for the zero dollar (laughs) fee. Exactly, exactly. For all of you who've like contributed so much, this is your extra special. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But I mean, I guess, you know, without further ado, uh, yeah, why don't you just kind of take us off and, and where did you, you know, get your love for film where did it come from for you so yeah i mean interesting question uh i i I, it's always fun for me i think um you know i I have had this conversation with so many people it's fun to hear other stories about how they kind of fell in love with film so i'm excited to hear yours but for me i mean you know basically when i was a kid probably you know uh five six seven ish years old Uh, I remember that my parents used to, like, you know, maybe once a month or something, invite their friends over, and they would have movie nights at our house. And, uh, and I just, for whatever reason, it's just what they loved, they would, they would always get these, like, you know, the genre flicks, like cheesy horror movies, you know, I mean, at the time in the 80s, it would have been like, even stuff like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I remember they would rent. And you know, this is kind of at the beginning of VHS being able to rent VHS movies, right? There was no blockbuster, but there were independent video stores. And uh, so my, my dad would go out and rent, you know, Friday the 13th or whatever, you know, slasher movies, genre flicks, and invite friends over and they would watch. So well, of course, I you know, they made me go away up to my room. <laughs> like, I'm not watching this stuff. But of course, you know, it's like I can hear them laughing and I can hear like they're having all this fun and I can hear the, the screams and the sound effects and everything and the, you know, the intense music, you know, coming up the stairs into my room. So, of course, you know, I'm going to sneak down. And I, you know, I remember very specifically, I would sneak like halfway down the stairs and there was like this mirror on the, on the hallway that if I kind of snuck halfway down the stairs, I could look at the TV in the mirror (laughs) and kind you know, this is like back in the days, you know, yes, I'm going to date myself. I'm old, but this is back in the days when, you know, I think we might've had a 25 or 27 inch TV. So you can imagine that's what I grew up with too. Yeah. Like, like not too dated. Yeah. (laughs) You can imagine, you know, I'm like, on the other end of the house, like watching it f- through a mirror. So it's, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like big. a it's postage tiny. stamp, basically, <laughs> you know. But it was just, I, you know, because it was kind of, I could see everybody having so much fun and it was kind of taboo. I mean, that's, you know, that that kind of really got me interested. So, you know, it I, through this process, one of the films that my, my dad rented and my parents watched with their friends was Mad Max, the original Mad Max. Mm-hmm. And... I, I somehow I, you know, it was still around the house. They hadn't taken it back yet. And I, you know, snuck back, you know, into, well, maybe it was like after my parents had gone to bed or maybe they were working or distracted. I don't remember. But I popped the tape in and I remember watching Mad Max for the first time. And I, I was absolutely positively, completely and totally just blown away, like just just totally blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And, uh, and and the Road Warrior as well, and those are like two of the films that I, that really in my earliest years had, I mean, some of the biggest impact on me. So so Mad Max Two, the Road Warrior, and Mad Max, but but also I mean, this is you know I grew up in an era of you know the original Indiana Jones and uh, and the Temple of Doom and uh, the, the original Star Wars films, you know. So this is these were kind of huge for me. Um, Jaws and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, so a lot of Spielberg, a lot of Lucas, 
uh, George mm-hmm. Miller, like I said, with Road Warrior and Mad Max. But uh, yeah, I mean, really, it was these like combination of kind of the very first kind of wave of what would be, you know, of blockbuster films, E.T., Jaws, Close Encounters, Star Wars. Um, but then like these grindhouse kind of genre flicks. I mean, you know, Mad Max and Road Warrior were genre flicks back then. They were, matter of fact, Mad Max was released in the States, I think, after the Road Warrior was released because the Road Warrior was kind of, you know, had more popularity, got mm-hmm. more traction. It was kind of like almost US. like a, yeah. a comeback almost. If you can and I remember even way. like, uh, I, I remember for the longest time when I would watch Mad Max, it was dubbed, you know, so Mel Gibson was dubbed over because the, the distributor thought that, you know, people, Americans wouldn't be able to understand Australian accents. So <laughs> it wasn't, it was even dubbed, you know, so it's like yeah. this bad VHS dub. Um, but I, you know, uh, I literally, I mean, I watched The Road Warrior so many times as a kid that, you know, my dad would have to keep going back to the store to rent it. This is what, before you could really buy, you couldn't buy yeah. VHS tapes yeah. for home. And if you, if you owned a rental store, it would cost, you know, a VHS copy of a movie might cost, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars or more, because at that time the studio's thought that it was a threat for people to be able to actually own movies you know this Mm -hmm. is before studios kind of was like dvds and like oh hey you know this is actually a big revenue stream Mm -hmm. so they really uh weren't weren't priced for consumers in consumers the 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 guy at the store gave us the tape my dad rented it so many times. He literally gave us. He the basically road. probably paid off the yeah. uh, the price of it. Yeah. But I, I don't you know. At least that's the story. That's what my dad tells me. Um, that's funny. That's but funny. yeah, I mean, I'd probably seen that movie two hundred times seriously mm-hmm. as a because you know how it is as a kid. You watch the same oh, yeah. thing over it's and over. Just, so yeah, yeah. so this was kind of like my first. You know, um, I was so spellbound just as an audience member. It wasn't until many many years later, and and we can kind of talk about that that process after you you know tell me kind of your first uh you know kind of uh impact that film had on you in the beginning but it was it was years later before i had an idea that it was something i could do that this was like something that people actually that there was this whole profession in this industry you know but but in the beginning it was just oh my gosh my mind is blown I, mm-hmm. I am like, I am so spellbound and just this is the most magical, amazing thing. I didn't even th- probably think it was like real human beings doing this stuff. You know what I mean? It was magic. It was just magic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. What about you, man? I mean, I it's, it's funny for me. I have like three really specific movies that kind of shaped it. Um, yeah. And they were all movies that I watched when I was really young, arguably too young to probably see them. Yeah, like um, me too. I feel like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, the first one really, I think was was Rear Window. Um, okay. And my dad was always a big Hitchcock fan, and much so more highbrow than my exposure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but they're, I mean, they're both great <laughs> in their own right. But um, I remember, I think what's what's funny to me about watching Rear Window when I was you know probably five or six is that it wasn't dated to me because that was the only scary thing I'd ever seen. Okay. So, like, it wasn't like I was watching something from the 50s. It felt like it was contemporary and that this was just what horror movies were. Yeah. And so I wasn't really watching it through a lens of, like, this is an old movie that came out years ago. I was you know watching it from this lens that, like, this was contemporary. This was, you know, now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to, it's so interesting. I just want to capture this thought. You know, I had that experience, too, with films like uh, the, the 1953 War of the Worlds. That was another oh, yeah. film yeah. that I, you'd kind of, sorry, you sparked this memory. It was like... That was also a film that I was just in love with as a kid, and I would rent all the time, and I was fascinated by it. And you're right. It's like when I was a kid, I, I really didn't have a concept of, like, this is dated. Yeah, or, exactly. It was yeah. just like, oh, this is a cool world that they put into this movie. Yeah, yeah. and I, I remember specifically the feeling of, like, not really being able to explain it. Like, I was definitely too young to put it into words, but this idea that I was finished watching the movie, the TV was off, and yet it still affected me. Mm. Like I still didn't want to look out the window at night yeah. out of fear that my neighbor was going to be burying their wife. And it Ooh. was like, why is that happening? Why? And it, so it was this, you know, again, I couldn't really explain to myself. I didn't understand the idea of like, you know, a subconscious imprint on me or something then, but I, yeah, but sure. it definitely like it was something that stuck with me. And the second that I can think of was really Jaws, which was, um, like I have this visceral, visceral memory of, and that was, you know, I would say that Jaws for a kid was is is scarier than Rear Window to me. And for I sure. remember being 
frightened to this even is so get much out more of bed. visceral yeah. yeah exactly and bloody and you know it's yeah. more violent and, and i remember i remember being too scared to get out of bed at night to even go get water because i thought that i was gonna like slip into the ocean and that like wow. my bed was gonna now, be a boat can i ask how because so you and i are kind of are a generation apart yeah, yeah uh you know i remember watching jaws as a kid but of course jaws you know came out when did it come out i you know the date 75 75 yeah. so so okay so it came out a year before i was born so you know i probably saw it in the very early 80s right mm -hmm. um so it was still a relatively fresh film i mean i remember having jaws poster on my wall a huge right, movie right. Uh, you know but for you that movie was old by the time you saw it but how yeah but i mean you? again it was the same thing uh, so i would have been six or seven it was actually okay. a neighbor one of my friends that lived on my street his dad had it and like showed me and i remember my mom being quite angry that she that, that we were seeing this like scary violent movie yeah um but um it was uh yeah so i was probably five or six or seven like probably six or seven um and um you know i again i just remember this again that this like intense feeling of of why am i afraid to get out of bed and like slip into water if the movie's done yeah, yeah. And, it, and so it really like that initially kind of sparked this thing about like scaring people for me but i still didn't know how movies were made it was still then something that was very much like a it was like reading a book like you don't really think when you're young about like the person that wrote it you just kind yeah, of you're just assume that it's absorbed in the story um, yeah or you think it's real like or you know you think that this yeah. is a, a real real event um and that you're just watching kind of real life um but i remember the movie that i think transformed those things from being just things that affected me to me making films was around the same time i was probably again maybe a year after i saw jaws i was probably eight years old and i saw jurassic park mm -hmm. and it was the first time that I had access to the behind the scenes of a movie. And so I watched Jurassic Park and then finished it and then immediately watched all of the making of. Mm -hmm. And then I watched the making of again. And I probably watched the making of more than I actually watched the movie. Like I probably watched the behind the scenes of Jurassic Park like 18 times and mm. watched the movie maybe five times. Not now, of course, I've seen it much more than that. But, um, but when I was a kid, like I was always watching the behind the scenes and I remember specifically the moment when, you know, that big T-Rex breakout scene in the rain and seeing them having to pat down the T-Rex. And I was like, this is so cool that that's a machine. And I was really into Lego as a kid. Um, and so what I started doing was basically doing that on small scales. Like I'd build a Lego T-Rex and I'd see, you know, I kind of understood weirdly enough from an early age that it was like, if I need the foot to come down in the camera, I don't need the whole T-Rex. I just need to build a big foot. <laughs> because it's fake you know what that's movie making so i can yeah. just build a foot and i can have the foot come in and i don't have to worry about the rest of the t-rex um and so that was when i started really making movies was pretty much stop motion lego movies um and star wars of course too i mean every kid you know sees star wars as, yeah. as a young child and kind of falls in love with it and so there was very much a big but that was what's funny too is that i grew up when the prequels were coming out you know i was born in 98 so right um i was growing up literally as the prequels came out and all my friends really liked the prequels but i was always in love with the originals and the reason that i was always in love with the originals and didn't really care for the prequels even though i was seeing them in theaters and they were coming out as i was you know growing up um was because i uh i had i there was no like really interesting behind the scenes stuff you know i didn't like watching the star wars two behind the like attack of the clones behind the scenes because it was all primarily computer stuff and i was right. like i can't do yeah. that it's so all just watching the behind the scenes yeah. for empire strikes so this back, is interesting I, like, I can go outside to I snow wanna... and you know yeah, yeah. i i think you, you've like touched on something that that's like really interesting to me because uh, it's a big difference in how you and i were exposed to to cinema in the beginning of our lives and it's mm -hmm. curious i want to explore this so you know when i was a kid that was pre-dvd uh, and obviously VHS tapes did not have special features. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, so my exposure to, to EPK, you know, electronic press kits or BTS behind the scenes stuff or making of, I mean, was extremely limited. I mean, I don't know that I was exposed to any, frankly. I mean, you know, maybe at most like, a, you know, a promo on TV, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any access to that. Uh, and it's interesting that that was a that was an important part of your kind of moving from okay, there's like this thing that's that's magic that's happening on the screen, uh, and it's affecting me emotionally. Where you were like, oh wait, but people make this. I can see this is this is there's like an art here, there's a craft here, and people mm -hmm. do this, and I can do it too. And it sounds like what you're saying is that those behind the scenes 
featurettes were an important part of your kind of realization of, hey, I can do this. Like, this is just people doing stuff, making, you know, make it cool, you know, and you just started working on your Legos. I feel like for me, I didn't even, you know, especially when you're young, you don't understand there's a director, there's a cinematographer, there's, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you, mostly it's just you just see what's on screen, right? So you're just looking at what's on screen. And, and so usually it's the actor's that are most prominent to you is like, okay, those are the people who are making a movie because that's the people that you see. So that was important to me as, as I'll kind of share because that's that's where I first kind of started moving into when I was pursuing a career in filmmaking was acting. Right. But yeah. I could say that, you know, it was really Spielberg and his extraordinary just popularity amongst lay people. I mean, everybody knew, you know, Spielberg for me, was the first person that I recognized to be a director. He's like the Mozart of movies. Is it was I just like... It, that like it, you could ask anybody anywhere right. and, and they know him. Yeah. And they know. If you don't even care about classical music, you like Mozart or Beethoven. It's like everybody <laughs> in the world knows who Mozart and Beethoven is, even yeah. if they, you know. But you're right. I mean, name a film director and likely if, you know, <laughs> nobody knows anything about film, they're say Spielberg. So that was, you know, and I was a kid when he was really at the, really coming into the height of his you know, popularity and success with Jaws and Close Encounters and uh, E.T. was huge. I mean, I remember seeing E.T. in the theater. I probably saw it myself five times, Um, you know, Indiana Jones flicks. So that was the first time and just because he was just everywhere. Yeah. And and I was so moved by so many of his films. I mean, E.T. was a huge impact on me. I remember seeing that at the theater and just being like, I mean, it was a profound experience for me as a kid. Um, so that was the first kind of, Hey, wait, there's like, there's kind of like a person who orchestrates this whole thing in some way. Um, but it wasn't until like a lot later that I really started to kind of understand that there's an industry and everything, but yeah. So it's, it's well, cool. I think it's, it's interesting too, because very much like you growing up with that Spielberg thing, you know, arguably as I, as I was sort of saying before that, like I had, of course the star Wars prequels coming out when I was a kid, but they were, you know, not, not really lauded. Um, but what was garbage. on the other side of they that were, and they kind were of, garbage. Yeah, exactly. What was kind of on the other side of that though for me, um, which I would say was much more similar to kind of your experience growing up with Spielberg, was Lord of the Rings, which came out mm. right right when I was in my youth. God, um, I'm old. And that was <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um but again, that was another one of those things that had like, you know, I've heard people describe the behind the scenes for Lord of the Rings as basically film schools on their own. Yeah. And oh, it's so insane. That was I a mean, huge like part each... for me too was I, I had I had again the the behind the scenes. But yeah. I, I think what was so what is so different today, especially with like people who, you know, maybe are growing up today and are really only watching movies from today, is that there's no or or at least there's a much more limited idea of like if I was eight years old right now watching the Avengers, I really wouldn't be able to look at that and go i can do that but when i was eight years old or when i was five years old watching lord of the rings and i saw that they were using a miniature Mm -hmm. and i was like hang on i've got a cardboard box i can make a small building and then put my camera beside it and that's my miniature i can do exactly what they did that's an interesting point right because in some ways so in some ways you know when i was a kid it would it would just be like you know of course all films were made using film mm-hmm. and so that was of course outside the range of any average person's bill it certainly was yeah. outside of my range um but it was like just the beginning of you know I, I remember being very young and my dad was kind of you know he worked in the uh for for jvc for a while and so he mm-hmm. worked in the consumer electronics industry and so we you know were early adapters to vcrs we were early adapters to home video cameras and so you know, even, you know, I, I had access to VHS, VHSC, 8mm, those things growing up. Of course, you know, you'd try your best to make something look cinematic with those cameras, and it was absolutely impossible, mm-hmm. you know? There was a certain charm, though. Honestly, but, but there's it's a like, weird charm to them. There is a weird charm, but it's like now, you know, it's like you... you uh, cameras you you can are 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 so accessible the technology of editing you know that was the other thing trying to edit back then so it's like in a way it's like so much of the technology of filmmaking is accepts is is accessible to so much more you know you can use a desktop computer and you have an extraordinarily powerful editing platform you can go buy some really reasonably priced cameras that if used well can give you an, an extremely professional look 
But yeah. yes, that, that. But then, like a, a film like Avengers or something like that. I mean, the technology they use there is just beyond. You know. Well, and that's the irony of it is that. So I I always describe you know when I teach. So I'm I'm twenty. I'm almost twenty three. I'm I'm turning twenty three in July. Um, that's you know. So I'm not really all that old. Um, but even when I was a kid, having something like a phone in your pocket that has incredible quality camera editing software um oh yeah that's lighting software and stuff like that it was unheard of you know that oh, didn't yeah. that didn't come out until i was you know in my teens so so i um i always tell the kids today that i, I teach that it's like you have really no excuse to not you know every single person has a a phone or most people have phones you know obviously there are some people who don't but but yeah. most people have phones with really great cameras um, like even five-year-old phones have really great cameras. They have access to editing apps. You could literally make an entire movie and it doesn't have to be, you know, high art, but you could, yeah. you know, as a kid, make a whole movie on a cell phone, which is insane to me. And, but I think that that's exactly what you kind of were hitting on there, which is that the irony though, is that while it's so um, liberated and it's so accessible these days to make movies, the movies that are coming out that are making a lot of money that get, you know, the most attention are these, you know, Three hundred million dollar, huge, yeah. you know, movies that would be impossible to make with that. Whereas I think the difference was, I think one of the reasons there was such a surge of like indie film in the nineties is because that was kind of the sweet spot of movies that were big were still made on not hugely like exorbitant budgets. Yeah, you know, there were movies Mostly, that, were coming yeah. out that were getting that were getting accolades and getting. There was- there were still like there were oh, still course, 10 yeah. 20 30 million dollar films being made yeah. and a lot of um, them yeah and and but at the same time you were getting again this 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 kind of uh democratization of being able to make movies so yeah. you had people get VHS 16 millimeter cameras were becoming more widely available yeah. um so it was kind of it was a wonderful like that, sweet that spot. 90s late 80s 90s early 2000s bit is exactly it Great was, era. It was a sweet spot yeah. of like you could make a movie for very little money that still had commercial value um, whereas now it's much more difficult. It's easier to make the movie, but to get the commercial value is what's So it's interesting that you part. mentioned that because this is the era where, so it took me that long. So also, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Missouri. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my parents aren't particularly artistic. And, you know, so I was not exposed. I didn't live in an, in an area and in a household where, you know, having any kind of artistic pursuit was really kind of seemed like any kind of reality. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it like f- this is something they do in in L.A. and Hollywood. That's you know, might as well be on another planet to me. Um, just I just had no I had no role models. There was no you know I just the industry was just totally non-existent. I mean, it was just completely not even a possibility. I didn't even. It wasn't like I thought like. I want to make movies. Darn it, I can't. It wasn't. E- I didn't even get that far. It was yeah. not. It was just like this is. I didn't even think about it because it was so so far away. But when when we did get into the late eighties and early nineties, and you had things like Kevin Smith and Clerks, and we have Quentin Tarantino with Robert Reservoir Rodriguez, Dogs, and, yeah. and we have this extraordinary explosion of amazing independent film. That's when I really started. Like, hey this actually is something that I could do. Yeah. This is, Which actually, is I mean, yeah. I think that it's funny that you are almost a, you know, evidence of, of what we're saying, which is that you had this democratization of, yeah. of media, of making media, you know, and I think that's really interesting because I, so I similarly, but not, you know, I grew up in Toronto, which is a pretty big film city. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, both of my parents were in business. It wasn't, you know, by no means was I growing up around filmmakers or actors and stuff like that. It was just more of like something that I, I got a passion for. Right. Um, and I do, I do think that's really interesting though, that I, I sort of, so I kind of grew up on the tail end of that democratization. You know, mm-hmm. my, even just, you know, I talk to kids today who aren't, you know, maybe the kids I teach are eight, maybe I'd say like seven to 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to them about, how when I was young and when I started my YouTube channel, YouTube was for short films. Like right. short films were the big thing on YouTube and they would get millions of views and they'd be on the front page. Yeah. I don't know when the last time I saw a short film on the front page of YouTube is. It's all They're video music essays, videos or it's video essays. Video or essays and yeah. Or it's tech reviews or things like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's or it's just drama. Like it's just like weird 
yeah, you know, yeah, gossip, or, internet yeah. gossip. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but there's but definitely I, you know, not like that. Like back narrative in the day, is not. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But back in the day, there was, and that's yeah. what's so weird to me is that it was like, it's it was almost like there was this this really sweet spot. And I don't think that that's impossible nowadays. You know, I wouldn't be doing this if I thought it was impossible. But it's definitely interesting that how fast it kind of switched from you know, and and even just talking about YouTube specifically, where it was like, it was this place to upload videos to to really it was it was it was like the perfect kind of distribution platform that came after this 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 democratization where now we could make movies and still in the 90s of course it was difficult to get your movie distributed there was no youtube there was really no internet platforms like that and then suddenly along comes youtube you're like whoa now i have both pieces yeah exactly i've got got the equipment to make it and i've got a a way to to put it in front of eyeballs and have and i don't i don't know i think that'll come back one day but I don't. It's definitely not at its peak right now. It's definitely gone back down to a point where uploading your video to YouTube, unless you already have a pre-established audience or have some way to get it or the money to get it seen by a lot of people, yeah. is kind of a waste of time. So it's interesting to me. I I want to go back to like the Spielberg influence a little bit because I think this is really interesting. You know, you and I are twenty years apart, and so you know he was, you know the biggest the biggest name in the business you know when i was a kid with all of his early blockbusters you know it's still stand as probably the best films that he's ever made mm-hmm. so it's interesting to me that 20 years later you're just as inspired by him i'm i and i'm curious so what films were you know uh, what films was was it his older films what is well, yeah, it, was so it like it, his it, recent well, films I'm, yeah that's interesting it's to inter- me yeah cuz so the films that he made when i was growing up weren't the ones that I watched, right? So it was, that's like the, you know, I, growing up, it was um, like Minority Report and War of the Worlds and Munich were kind of the ones that were yeah. coming out, you know, as I was growing up. So, okay, so still not big, really the still ones big, that, but yeah. yeah, still big, but not necessarily, like I didn't see those until I was older, you know, a few years after they'd come out. So it wasn't one of those, you know, things where I was going to the theater and watching them. Um, but no, it was, it was for me, one of my, again, one of the earliest memories I have of watching movies was my dad covering my eyes as I watched Temple of Doom when the heart was pulled out and things like that. So it was definitely, again, this kind of almost passed on generational thing, even though, you know, as we talked about, um, even though our, neither of our parents are, were, but they were fans in the film. Yeah. They, but, and even like, but pretty casual fans. And I think that what's interesting is kind of how you talk about, um, the idea that that Spielberg is so, you know, very much like you were talking kind of about the the Avengers thing, where it's like it's you don't need to speak any language to understand mm-hmm. those movies or fall in love with them. Yeah, Spielberg is very much kind of like, almost to me, an older version of that, where uh, yeah, because he's so well known, because he's so accessible by so many people, but he's not accessible because it's like a lowest common denominator thing. He's accessible because it's just he just made good movies that people yeah. liked. Yeah, um, and so I think that that to me is is really the reason that that well, i think he's got such a multi-generational impact on people like that's what's i, I but do those think are, so those really are films point. that your that your your father was watching though so your yes. dad would be yeah. watching like indiana jones or jaws mm-hmm. and so you were exposed to those earlier films through your father because he was a fan of the older films is what it sounds exactly. like yeah. so it's, it would be like if i had kids <laughs> which i haven't but oh, if i had exactly, kids yeah. because i like grew up on those films i would probably be like watching them and you know my kid would be sitting next to me and then my kid would be like thusly inspired so yeah that's interesting i mean i i think it's it is funny that and I think this happens a lot, right? I mean, you know, my dad uh, loves loves movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I know, he's never had any desire to ever, you know, be a filmmaker. I mean, no. <laughs> like, yeah. definitely, I don't, there's never been even remotely a sign that that was ever something he's interested in. But he definitely loves films. And, you know, so I, that's, I grew up watching so many films with my father and like, you know, spaghetti westerns on Sunday afternoons, you know, and like the, you know, whatever the local, you know, in, in St. Louis, it was KPLR, I think, Channel 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they would play spaghetti westerns, you know, like every, because we only had, you know, especially when I was young. I mean, it was like, if you didn't have cable, and not many people did, although I was lucky enough to have cable uh, on and off, you know, throughout my childhood, my parents would get it for a period of time and then maybe lose it. But so I did have HBO and I could watch a lot of movies there. But I mean, for you know, it's like your options were really limited. You know, we were mm-hmm. talking about how many options, how many things vie for your attention today. Back then, I mean, I remember when TV went off at 11 p.m. or midnight or whatever it was. You know, I remember right. having three channels. So yeah. it was like you watched what was on. But 
It's interesting, yeah. I mean, it. it so it's it, it. It's it's fun to me that it's kind of tied to that. It's like I you know I would love film. I think no matter what, but mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. neat to me though that I have this connection to my father, to my parents, sharing these moments with them. And I think a lot of people who love film have probably had similar experiences. You know, sounds like you did too. Yeah. No. I. So I mean, and what I kind of actually want to talk about a little bit too, is the like. The moment that you, or, you know, it might not have been a moment, it might have been kind of a, a process. traditional thing, a yeah. process of, like, turning it from a hobby into a, ah. a career and something yeah. that was, like, viable to, to do for, yeah. for, you know, a living. So that's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, we and we might at some point want to talk about this in more episodes and mm-hmm. uh, from a perspective of kind of things that we've learned. And, you know, so there could be a lot there. But, I mean, so for me... Like I, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier that it was the actors that I first felt an affinity for because they were they were like what I was watching on camera. So so yes, there was this part kind of in the back of my mind that like oh, there's people like Spielberg that that orchestrate these things. But what I kept being exposed to and fascinated by was actually was the actors. Um, and so that was my first kind of foray into it. I I found myself being really like just you know uh, obsessed with this process of acting like how do these people do that you know because like you're moved emotionally by these performances like there so you there's an intimacy there right Mm -hmm. uh at least for me i felt there was this intimacy there where wow they're like having such an impact on me emotionally and and i connected that to the actors mostly at that time so so yeah i mean it was a process of you know, I, I again, it was like growing up in Missouri. I went to college uh, and studied business. I mean, I took as many film classes as they had, but it was just film studies, and there weren't a lot. You know, because yeah, nothing just, was like practical. No, right? it's not what yeah. they. At least as far as I know, maybe they did, but it just was. Again, it was like you can't. This is not something you can make a living at. This is not something you can have a career at. So mm-hmm. you better go go study business because you're going to have to pay the bills whenever you graduate. So. Again, it was it was just about the pragmatic. I just didn't see it as a possibility. And um, but slowly it started, you know, I realized, first of all, how <laughs> how much I hated business uh, and the, the classes were boring. I didn't like it. And then especially when I got into the real world, I was like <laughs> hit over the head with like, wow, I really don't like sitting in this office staring at a computer screen, you know, yeah. do like writing ad copy or, 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 you know, discussing marketing budgets or whatever the heck I was doing for the, you know, and it was, and I worked for great companies and I was treated very well, better than I should have, frankly, because I got, you know, to, to pretty, sl- I got to slacking off quite a bit there near the end, <laughs> yeah, but because I did, but I, I, so it was almost like, wow, I, it, the pain of being in a career that I couldn't stand Mm-hmm. really forced me to to like okay hey we got to stop here and look at you got a lot of life left in you this is miserable what are we going to do with ourselves mm-hmm. and so it was so it was a lot of that it was the pain of doing something that i really was not a good fit for me and and then still you know like my love for film growing my and you know and and literature i mean not just film but theater and and literature just story my love for story never left, kept growing bigger and bigger. And so basically, after college, I I was like, that th- was in the back of my mind, but I hadn't admitted it to myself yet. I was like, I, I want to live in California. I want to pursue acting. But because nobody around me was a role model for that, I was worried to, to ex- externalize that idea. Uh, and so I never talked about it or or did anything externally really, but it started to kind of make changes in my life. And so I, I didn't move to California right away, but I moved to Colorado. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm halfway there now, you know, from St. Louis to Colorado. I'm like, that's closer. Okay. Um, and once I was in Colorado, I started uh, studying acting at the Denver Center for Performing Arts. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's not on camera, but Hey, it's like, I can, you know, after, after my nine to five, I can take classes here and I can, you know, and so here I am. I mean, at that point I was probably 25 years old or so, give or take, I can, you know, and I'm taking my first acting classes ever at mm-hmm. stage acting. Um, 
and I, I it was it was something I was horrible at. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, or at least I felt like you know I was. I mean, you know, I'm new at it, you know. So it's, uh, it was like super like it's totally interesting, totally scary meeting awesome people it was extremely fun it was also like nerve-wracking to me it was like even even like the exercises that we would do in class would make me like just overwhelmed with anxiety right. you know yeah, yeah. uh but uh so it was like it wasn't easy to me it was it didn't like come naturally it was like something that was really a challenge for me but it was something i really enjoyed so i pursued that end of it it was really you know for the longest time i was like i want to be an actor and then i you know kind of the more classes I took, and then I started, you know, I auditioned for some uh, theater, some plays in, out there in Colorado, and then I was actually cast in them. And then, you know, so I'm, I'm on stage in front of a paying audience. And, you know, yes, it's small. It's little regional theater, little community theater. Um, but, hey, it's paying audience, and I've got a paying gig, and I'm acting, and I'm acting, you know, hey, this is awesome. Uh, small roles, but then that worked into, like, larger roles, lead roles, uh, then I even worked into, you know, doing some, uh, some writing and producing. Um, and then I had an opportunity. So I kind of built like this whole theater world around me. So I had, you know, most of my friends were theater, were friends from the theater world. And, uh, so yeah. Uh, and then, uh, it came to a head for me with my, uh, my day job came to a head where I, I was so un unhappy with that. I got fired and like not laid off. I got fired because a uh, combination of just like my attitude sucked and, you know, uh, they didn't want to put up with me anymore. And at the time, of course, I didn't frame it that way. I was like, it's my boss's fault. But, you know, looking back, it's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, I was a turd. So so then I was like, OK, well, I'm moving to California now. So I got to California um, and this is where I really, OK, I solidified my my plan I'm going to I'm going to work this day job kind of thing that's still working the same type of career, but just for a different company in California. It's like, OK, I'm here. I'm going to work here for a couple of years. I'm going to save up my my uh, war chest so that I can move to L.A. to pursue acting. And, you know, boom, then it was like I've got a plan. I'm doing it. It's a done deal. And that's what I did. I worked for a few years for this company. I saved up as much money as I could. And then I went on out to L.A. and then pursued acting with a vengeance. Now, at this point in time, I'm 30 years old and I have no experience. And here I am in L.A. I have no experience. I have I mean, I have theater experience. I have theater training, I have acting training, but I have no on camera experience. I've got no resume that matters to them. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a tough situation to be in, to be 30 years old, because everybody else in that audition room uh, has a heck of a most of them people have a heck of a resume. So you're yeah. the only guy that doesn't have a, a much of a resume there at 30. So. That's where I was like, okay, look, if I if I want to be able to work in film, then I'm going to have to make my own work. I'm going to have to take on some other positions. So that's where I really started getting into more producing, more writing, directing. I mean, whatever had to be done, you know, uh, I if I want to do this, I'm going to have to make my own work. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where I I started experience. You know, I, I started getting experience in all these other different facets of filmmaking. It's like, if I'm going to do this in any capacity, then I'm going to have to make my own work. And so that's, right. that's how kind of led to me being here now. That's interesting. So it's, it's funny because we almost have similar, but really opposite sides of the, like, yeah. Of, what's of, your, the yeah. So what about so, you? So for yeah. me, I, I was always into the filmmaking. Like I was you know, ever since I started making, as I said earlier, those stop motion movies, I wanted to be a director. That was that was my goal. I would, mm. you know, going through elementary school was making movies and directing friends and stuff like that on on the old like VHS cameras and stuff that we had the tape. Um, and but I, I can't I honestly don't really remember how. Um, but I just somehow kind of got into acting when I was young. Um, I never wanted to be an actor. But I remember I did, you know, the second city is a big theater company here in toronto sure, and it's also yeah. there's chicago locations all that and huge the, yeah huge people have, have been there um and so i did improv at second city and then i did improv at another improv theater um called bad dog theater and this was when i was probably in grade four. Oh wow um, but yeah, i remember young. doing it really you know not to like toot my own horn but i remember you know being so 
fascinated with it and really liking it so much that I was I would be invited to the adult shows. Mm -hmm. So like even though I was a student, I would they they would take kind of like the two students who seemed to be like you know kind of getting it and going along yes anding the best i guess you would say and, <laughs> right um, oh yeah i and, remember and all they would that say you know do you want to come to perform in one of the on one of our like performance nights with all the adult cast and in front of you know the a, a real audience yeah and so i started doing that stuff and it was it was a lot of fun um and then i you know but again all through that time i still like i liked acting but it was never the like i never wanted to make a career out of it it was more just something that i enjoy doing and i figured if anything it's just a helpful skill to learn um to if i want to be a director to, to learn acting and so i wound up going yeah. to uh an arts high school here um in the gta greater toronto area um and i went there for drama they didn't have a film program um there was another arts high school further away from me that had a film program but it also had a worse reputation so I went for this drama program, so it was basically doing, you know, really intensive theater um, every single day for four years straight, um, which was great. You know, that was, like, I, you know, the professionals that I got to work with and stuff, and the, you know, we were, our, our it was, it, honestly, it's quite incredible, like, the school musicals and the school plays had, like, budgets of, like, $70,000 and stuff, like, they wow. were huge. and so <laughs> we had, so you really got this experience, this full theater experience of, like, when I was, and I also got a lot of behind the scenes, so what, my first two years there, I primarily worked on the tech crew, I was kind of the sound operator for mm -hmm. mics and operated the soundboard, and then I started getting into doing stuff on stage and the musicals and the plays, um, but you really got like, you know, I got the experience of climbing up to the the catwalks and adjusting lights. I got the experience of running light boards. I got the experience of writing professional soundboards and using professional mics. I got the experience of being mic'd, sitting in the makeup chair, performing in front of an audience of a thousand. It's such people. good experience, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I really cherish my my theater experience. Yeah, no, and I it was, really it, do. And yeah. if you want to talk about, you know, even just that a whole problem solving thing, like amount of problem solving you gotta do when someone messes oh. up in front of a on audience is huge. Uh, believe me, um, I, I know that from every, there's like, there is nothing more nerve wracking. Oh, okay, so it's funny. When I was an actor, I thought there would be nothing more nerve wracking than, than you know, when I'm waiting in the wings and I'm about to go out and, you know, all mm -hmm. these things are flashing. You know, it's like, at, at the time, I didn't have a repeatable, uh, solid process, an acting right. process that worked for me. I was still very much in you know trying to piece that together through my experience and study so it was a really nerve-wracking experience to me and i didn't have great ways to handle that now then then when i went out on stage i was usually okay but i i thought that that nothing could be more nerve-wracking than that and i was wrong the first time i directed an ensemble cast being the director <laughs> yeah. on opening night sitting in the front row watching your actors you have no control then Jeez, <laughs> that was more nerve-wracking <laughs> i can imagine um, and what's, what's so interesting to me about that too, was that I didn't like, it wasn't a situation where even though there was no film program at this school, I didn't, you know, I sort of like stopped doing film for four years and then got back into it when I graduated. And it was very much, I sort of learned that I had to make my own opportunities. Mm -hmm. So there was like a media class where you did like two weeks of filmmaking, but the teacher that I had for that class was, he grew up in Southern California and he'd done a lot of work. He worked on things with, um, Who's Bill and Kill Bill? What's his name? Um, uh, Carradine. Carradine. David Carradine. He like yep. he worked on things like you know kind of B movies with David Carradine and stuff. Yeah. Um. So he was really into movies. Like he loved movies, and he would always kind of joke about the fact that it was like if if he if it was up to him, this media course would just be filmmaking. It wouldn't be. You wouldn't have to do the Photoshop. You wouldn't. You know. Yeah. Um. So, but he, I remember, was a huge influence on me and a good friend of mine who I'm still good friends with and who's working on this feature that I'm working on now with me, um, where it was like we were doing this, this two week film project in this media class. And he like gave us the whole studio and like brought in smoke machines and lights for us. Cause he saw how much, how interested we were in doing it. And so like all the other groups would just kind of go outside and film things on your, on their phones. But we were like doing like sound stages and building props <laughs> and stuff. And it was this tiny two week project, but that was sort of really when I, I started to get involved in film at the school. And one of the things that my school always did every year was this holiday video. And so it was like this big kind of like jokey sketch comedy thing where it was like all the teachers would 
do a sketch, all the departments would do a sketch, and then it would be edited together, and then at the beginning of the holiday assembly, which was, like, right before we went on winter break, um, they would show this video, and they were usually, like, 10 minutes long, it was really stupid, not very well made, like, it was usually just someone with, again, their phone kind of filming these, right. these dumb sketches, but it was, it was a fun thing. Yeah. And then the year, so when I was in grade 10, um, this guy, Sam Colder, who also went to my school, who's, like, this big Instagram, YouTube star now, he's got, like, a million subscribers, he does, he basically invented, like, the travel video on youtube which is kind of neat but he so i went to high school with him and he did this music he turned it into a music video which was what does the fox say and oh um, yeah and he did this like it was like this insane thing he had like jibs and dollies and sliders and like full lighting setups and smoke machines and it was like it really kind of changed the whole holiday video thing it, it made it this bigger thing and so then i was asked to do it the next year because he'd graduated and um it wasn't very good my first one wasn't very good it was a music video and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we just kind of did this me and my friend did it and the year after that when i was in grade 12 um i sort of talked to the teacher that was kind of the organizer of it and sort of said hey like i know this sounds weird but we've got a pretty good working relationship can i have complete creative control on this <laughs> like can mm. i do whatever i want and she sort of said yeah, as long as it's appropriate, go ahead. And so we were like, everyone's expecting a music video. Oh. Let's advertise it as a music video. Let's tell everyone it's a music video. But let's do this like half an hour zenith of movie parodies. Mm. And so we did this like, it was this huge production. It was the first time that I'd ever gotten the experience of like having to schedule things, having to work with huge casts of like multiple teachers, not just doing like silly sketches, mm -hmm. but recreating scenes from Jurassic Park or Star Wars or Indiana Jones or The Godfather or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Sunset Boulevard. And <laughs> nice. it was like, so, and it also taught me so much because I was parodying these big movies. So I was like going in and studying the, these scenes yeah, shot to, to shot. Recreate, going, yeah. like, how can I, how do I light this shot? How do I move the camera? I built dollies. I built jibs. I built things like that. So we could really like recreate all of the camera effects and all the camera movements and stuff. Yeah. And it was, it was like, I, I still think to me, it's like probably one of the happiest moments of my life was sitting in the audience, watching that on a big screen and just having people like in like applause and, and laughter and stuff like that. And it was, it was this really, you know, even though I'd been making movies for so long before that, that was kind of the moment when I was sitting there and I sort of went, this is what it feels like to kind of have it be a, be seen, mm -hmm. but also have a production go yeah. well and have an end result and have this. Like, yeah. You know, it's six a powerful experience. Thing. I mean, there's a couple exactly, really yeah. interesting things that you mentioned. I mean, one it that you mentioned that it was so it was a it was such a great experience you know parroting or you know recreating these mm -hmm. all these different scenes from these famous films was an important part of your learning process and i think it is for everybody and you know yeah. it's and i think it's actually it's a great way to learn uh and i think you know different people kind of absorb different levels of, but it's like kind of what you're doing when you're really actively watching a film, you're absorbing these, all of these shots, you're absorbing this, all the techniques and the grammar of film and storytelling. And it's interesting that you did that where you were basically, okay, we're going to create a, a parody of these things. And so I've got to recreate, you know, the better I can recreate these, these scenes, the, you know, the better the parody is going to be right. Mm -hmm. Cause we got, you know, so that's it's a really wonderful tool to use, and I've done some of that as well uh, in the past for some of my short films and things, and they are really good learning experiences. So it's interesting, yeah. yeah, that you had that, and it's fun, you know, it's fun. Well, yeah, and it just it just I think it teaches you. It's one of the things that I always do again with my students is like shot recreation. Like I'll mm -hmm. put a shot on the yeah. TV screen in the studio and sort of say, okay, split into two groups. I want this lit correctly. I want it at the proper focal length. I want the framing to be proper, and so. What it allows them to do is kind of go like, hey, if I was filming a close-up, I'm just going to stick the camera right in front of the person on an 18 millimeter lens and that's it. Whereas then they start to think about like, okay, how does that change if I go to a 55 millimeter mm -hmm. and I light this differently? And and that was the same thing for me when I was parodying these scenes was it's kind of like, I'm no longer thinking about what I would do. I'm learning what the experts would do and then I can apply that later yeah. on to what I would do. Um, and so it was really, again, it was one of those things Very useful. that I think prepared me also just on a production level of like having to schedule all these things and you know work with all these actors prepared me immensely for a career in film because i had never had that experience before i'd only ever worked with two or three friends who you know were on like a 
five minute movie. Whereas working on this half an hour thing where I had different shoot days, I had locations, I had to contact the, the cast basically who were of course all the teachers at the school, but some of them weren't very keen on doing it. And so I had to kind of negotiate with them and kind of be like, <laughs> we'll get this done as soon as possible. You show up now, we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll be set up before you come. You just have to come sit in that chair, do a line and then you're done. And it was yeah. like this really great experience in terms of the, the business side of film um, and not at least just the taste of side. it. Well, I yeah, think exactly. something else, it sounds like it, yeah. something else important happened to you there was that you, you it was was that the first time that you had ever sat in an audience or with an audience yes. watching something people I react made. to your work. And yeah, that was probably yeah. maybe the most I'm going to guess that was at least tied, if not the most important aspect of kind of the impact that that had on you yeah. and your desire to want to move forward because that's huge that's i was terrified too i sat at the bot back i couldn't yeah of i course. couldn't and i still do this whenever i watch oh yeah that i've made i i couldn't bear to think of sitting like in the middle of the audience and having someone behind me watching <laughs> something that i've made while staring at the back of my head <sighs> so i sat at the back of the audience i was like terrified and but it just, it, it's still, it's one of those things that's so bizarre. It's so, like an adrenaline yeah. rush where it's like you're terrified, but it also, it's like a roller coaster. It feels so good, even though yeah. you're scared. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's extremely interesting. I, I mean, I think, yeah, for all of us, I remember some of the most significant and important uh, moments that kind of inspired me and shaped me uh, were, were more in the theater world, but the same thing of, you know, working hard to put together a play, direct an ensemble, I mean, just all the work that goes into that um, and and then get to watch a, a paying audience enjoy it is truly one of the most extraordinary yeah. experiences I've ever had. And it's also quite wonderful to be on that stage uh, and, and during and the same thing and have an audience enjoy it is really a truly wonderful yeah. experience. And it, I mean, it propels most of us, I'm sure, to to do what we do. I you know, I want to talk about here at the end of because we've not we've kind of not brought this factor into it. But obviously, this is a podcast about. Werner Herzog and his mm -hmm. film, his kind yeah. of philosophy film and his filmography. I'm curious about, you know, our, your story. Uh, how did you uh, run into Herzog, his work, and and what? Obviously, it had an impact on you. So I'm curious about, you know, what impact did he have on your work, and what do you take away from his work, and what inspires you about his work. It's, it's funny. So I, the first experience I ever had with Herzog was my grandmother bought me Grizzly Man for like my birthday when I was a kid. Just randomly? I don't think that she knew what it was. Just randomly, just like yeah. it was in like the DVD bin and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. here's it's a it's bear bears. on the cover. Okay, yeah. great. This will be great for kids. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I that was, that was my, that's my first memory of Herzog. Okay. Um, and then I'd seen, you know, I'd seen his famous ones. I'd seen Nosferatu. Um, so when did you Geraldo. see those films? Because even when though... I was probably in high school about. Uh, now, did you see these school. as part of class? Did your father no, introduce I just, you to them? I, just no, like... I, um, I think it was just a matter of kind of looking for more, you know, I'd seen, so I'd, I'd seen a lot of like American cinema and blockbusters okay. and all that. And so I think at that point I was just kind of looking for more, um, you know, something different. And sure. so I was just like, okay. what's who, you know, looking for online lists of like who are the most interesting directors ah, and Herzog okay. was usually on there so ah, okay. I would start watching those when I was around in high school uh, but it really wasn't like I I would honestly say that it wasn't I didn't start learning a lot about Herzog until the master class yeah until I joined the master class which of course is where we met yeah um, and um, that I remember when I signed up for it I signed up before it was released I like got the acts early you know early thing when it was announced so mm -hmm. it was probably i think like 90 days where i had bought it before the class started and so i was like okay in these you know three months i have before the class starts i'm just gonna try and watch as much herzog as i could and so that's kind of what i did yeah which really helped with the class it made the class a lot more i think um you know just applicable to me because i could kind of relate to the, the things that he'd done before um and yeah i mean that was that was kind of how i fell into it was really like the master class was a huge part of it but i yeah but i'd seen his bigger stuff before then um but yeah the master class really was kind of i would say solidified my okay and that was how yeah. that was like what how many 2016 
Okay, wow, that's so like mind blowing to me. Five years ago now, which that's is crazy <laughs> considering that. <laughs> that is yeah. so insane. And that little masterclass was such a tiny company back then. Yeah, and I remember they used to they always had like three like, classes. <laughs> yeah, seriously, and I remember they would always like like they let us like lead weekly classes based yeah, off I that. Yeah, I hosted a few of the live live things. classes, yeah. and and I remember that like they even flew us out there and. Mm. Uh, I remember like going out to San Francisco and For I remember party. Like, every couple weeks they would, somebody would call and survey me and, you know, of course all of that's gone now and they're a much bigger company and, yeah. but it was, it was really fun. But yeah, I, that's hard to believe it's been that long ago. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I, I honestly cannot remember, I can't remember what the first Herzog film was that I saw. I, I you know, I really don't have that recollection but i know i remember though when i started to really dig deeper and and pay attention to his his philosophy of filmmaking and want to you know and go out and and read some of his books and you know and um like the you know uh oh what's the paul cronin i think is you know the mm -hmm. uh there's a couple of books, Herzog on Herzog, and then he kind of updated that for uh, later. Oh, gosh, yeah. the, ti the title is escaping me now. It's like something for the perplexed. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, the uh, yeah, guide yeah, for the perplexed. Yeah. Guide for I, the I think it's yeah. guide for the perplexed. So, yeah. um, and, but uh, but I think it was probably Cave of Forgotten Dreams for me. Again, it wasn't the first Herzog film that I had seen, but I remember. Uh, I, I, we, I watched that at the recommendation of my acting teacher at the time. Did you see it in 3D? I saw it in 3D, yeah. saw it in the theater. <laughs> now, again, it's not the first time I had, I knew who Herzog was. I'd yeah. seen other films, but, uh, but at that point, and it was like where I was at, I was ext like extremely focused on studying acting. I was spending upwards of eight hours a day, uh, just working on my acting chops every day at home and really study getting into a lot of other like studying story and story structure and uh meditating on story and just consuming as much of that as i could and of course the cave of forgotten dreams really spoke to me because it kind of speaks to this this how ancient storytelling is a part of the human condition and and I was just it. I was just in this perfect place where that really had a huge impact on me. And so from there, uh, it, and it's his his overall kind of philosophy of filmmaking spoke to me so much because at that time, I was really struggling to kind of fit myself into what I thought the industry wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And it was a really painful place to be for me emotionally, and. Um, and, and it, it was such like a, a voice of authenticity and strength. And his career was such a um, an example of how you can do your thing and you don't have to fit into somebody else's mold. You actually yeah. don't have to conform to this industry. You, you, you can do your own thing. So it was this pursuit of this kind of transition of like, okay, I'm trying to make myself be this thing that a casting director is going to want to hire me for to no, this is about me pursuing my authentic voice. This is about me telling the stories that I want to tell. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with, this whole machine that I had was really struggling to kind of work within or trying to break yeah, into or even just understand yeah, or just, yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, so that's, I think, yeah. So j just as we, we kind of leave off here. Yeah. Um, I just sort of also want to say, um, you know, both of us, I think have some like really exciting projects coming up over the summer. And, um, so you can probably expect that like maybe in the fall, we might do kind of like a follow up episode episode to this yeah. where we kind of talk about, um, you know, what we've been up to. Um, totally. Cause I think I this mean, was a lot of fun. I think that this, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I've got a, I've got a pretty fun shoot coming up here at the end of the month and, mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be exciting. I'll be working alongside, uh, a filmmaker that I've known for about 15 years. He actually hired me as an actor. For the nice, very first awesome. film, for the very first short film I ever shot when I moved out to California, uh, and we've remained friends. And uh, he's gonna—he's got a crew out here in LA. He's gonna fly out, and we're gonna meet up and and uh, shoot shoot a bunch of pickups for a feature film that uh, he's getting ready to wrap up on that I did some assistant editing for. 
Uh, so that'll be exciting. I awesome. think I'm going to help direct some of these scenes. So that'll be cool. But yeah. I know you've got you've been working on a feature that you're putting together. You've locked yeah, down some actors first, and my locations. First, um, and yeah, my first directorial debut. I, I expect debut. to come out of it with now. A wait, thick wait, wait. German Let me accent. clarify. Is is this your <laughs> first directorial debut, or is this just your directorial debut? This is or my is first. It, it's, this is my first of many directorial debuts. Okay, I was just double checking because I'm like, you know, I just I'll have a second sh- and then a third. I, yeah, maybe. exactly. I was just making, you know, it's because it, wait a minute, is this your fourth debut? I just went, you know, but hey, yeah, yeah I gotta uh, clarify that one. But that'll be awesome. Well, well, we can, yeah. yeah, you'll have to keep us up to date as to how that goes. It looks really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's exciting. So yeah, well, as COVID, I mean, hey, I just got my first round of the Pfizer vaccine yeah uh, that's awesome too yesterday yeah. and here to report aside from just a tiny 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 little bit of soreness in the arm absolutely no side effects whatsoever i feel great uh I, i'm excited as like more and more people are vaccinated um i'm excited to actually get back get back out into the world and yes. actually get to shooting and making movies will be really exciting so yeah With uh, all your new gear yeah absolutely all right well on that note Cullen, thanks again for another wonderful episode. It was a blast. Uh, I'll look forward to our our next episode, and we'll see. I don't know yet exactly what we're going to cover in that. We might go back to cover another film in Herzog's filmography, or who knows, maybe we'll jump to some other uh, discussion or topic. But until then, everybody, thanks for hanging out and listening. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. See you guys.